This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Nice to have you. <clears throat> and uh, you know what? The second coming of the Holy Spirit. You can understand why... Of all the subjects Jesus gave attention to, this was His number one, number one emphasis. Holy Spirit. Because when you get the Holy Spirit, who do you get? You get me. I can't be there. It's to your advantage. Didn't didn't Justin point that out last night? It's to your advantage that I go. I just can't be with you. I'm too far away. But when He comes... He will glorify me. He will bring my physical presence. And sometimes you'll be praying. You'll be praying and you will sense the presence of Christ in that prayer room. That isn't Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. Who's the most humble? Like all three members of the Godhead. The most humble being in the universe. God is the most humble being in the universe. We think of Him as the exact opposite. He's the most machismo. He walks into a room. Hey, I'm here. No. He comes in quietly. He says, Elijah, I want you to go up and stand in that mouth of that cave. You listen for me. Thunder and lightning. Earthquake. Fire. Nothing. Then when it was just... That's the way God is. He doesn't try to get everybody's attention when He shows up. I'm here. I'm with you now. So, being the humblest being in the universe, you can understand why He wants you and me to be the same way. So that when we walk into a room, the attention is not immediately on who we are, but who we represent. Not about me. Walk into that party. Not about me. Psh, move in and sit, sit in that crowded table that's laughing. Not about me. Psh, why? I'm here to represent the Lord Jesus. I'll talk. I'll laugh. I'll be a part of everything that's happening here. But the, my intent is not to get you to think of me. My intent is for somehow there to be an open opportunity for me to say a word about the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus. If the disciple outshines the Master, you don't need a disciple. That disciple is trying to be the master. If a disciple outshines the master, the disciple is trying to be the master. The master says, I can't use you. I need disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says. So, so what, a, what, a, what a God draws us into his strategic plan. Okay, so this will be, this is the, the put the final wrap on this. Uh, study guides for the other two. I want to go back. I want to go back. I want to show you something that we can do with Revelation 18.1, which is essentially a prophecy of the second coming of the Holy Spirit. Revelation 18.1 is a prediction of the second coming of the Holy Spirit. The earth will be lightened with the glory of Christ. I want to show you, that, show you how that works. I'm going to go back now to uh, Revelation 18.1. I'm pulling a segment out of a, out of a teaching 
called Rumors from the East, and I saw Annie here, and we did that out in Loma Linda together back in 2007. Annie was taking pharmacology then, and she's just saw her today, and she's up in uh, Spokane, Washington now, a pharmacist. Good for you, Annie. So that's why the background suddenly changed, because I want to add this practical piece just at the end before we hurry off to... Uh, we're not hurrying off to lunch. We're hurrying off, I think, to a plenary. Isn't that right? Then we get lunch. Because if you went to breakfast and you ate the granola without milk and you use applesauce instead, <laughs> I went all over that place. I drink only soy milk because I'm vegan, but I couldn't find even any of that. So you had to put the, you had to put the applesauce on the granola. So if you did that, you're not even hungry now. You're not thinking food at all. You're still digesting. <laughs> okay, so anyway, that's why we're going to... 12 o'clock, we're going down to the big hall. What the, does it start at 12.15 then in the big hall? 12.15? All right. Okay, so let's go back to Revelation 18.1. There's something here. I, I need you to see this. And this is what will move us into practicality. Revelation 18.1, After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now, don't worry about that pew Bible. We, we, we have pew Bibles, a pioneer. And by the way, let me just be uh, 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 shameless here and tell you that these teachings are at a website called www.pmchurch.tv. And this is sitting, this is pulled out of one of those. And this is from the Rumors from the East series. Uh, and so you can go to that website. You can get all the study guides there. Everything's there. But I want to look at that angel again. Look at that angel. What's going on here? Notice where John got this line, guys. This is not something where John just kind of thought it up. He was shown it, but he was given Old Testament language to depict it. And guess where he went? Look at this. Ezekiel. John loves Ezekiel, by the way. Revelation is replete with Ezekiel. Afterward, he, Ezekiel's writing now, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward what direction? East. Something happens in the east every morning. What happens in the east every morning? The sun comes up, so to speak. The sun comes up in the east. So Ezekiel says, I was brought to this gate of Jerusalem. It's the gate that's facing to the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. So Ezekiel is... God's glory is being shown as a what? As a sunrise, that's exactly right. Ezekiel is being shown a sunrise and he's being told, Ezekiel, that's the glory of the, of the God of Israel from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And now read that next line. And the earth what? Where did you just read that line? Where did you just read that line? That's Revelation 18.1. In fact, let me just show you. I'll put the both verses on the screen together. And behold, this is Ezekiel, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Now watch this, guys. Revelation 18, we just read. After these things, I saw another angel coming down, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Direct quotation. We now know where John got Revelation 18.1. He went back into the well of Ezekiel 43. He said, I want that little, that little uh, picture-framed moment, and I'm going to use that right there. The Holy, of course, he did it all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's no way John could have known Ezekiel that well. The Holy Spirit is working on the mind. He says, go back to that ancient scroll. Pull that line. 
But putting the two side by side tells us immediately now that the angel who comes down, guess who the angel who comes down is? Because who's, who, who's, the, who's the hero in Ezekiel 43? The God of Israel. So the angel who comes down in Revelation 18.1, he's got to be the same one. He's the God of Israel. And who is the God of Israel? He's the one that was speaking out of that crackling. I am that I am. You remember that? Prince of Egypt. There's that voice out of the, out of the fiery burning bush. The I am is the God of Israel. Isn't that right? Hey, listen. God. Moses has his face in his hand. In the dirt. God, if they ask me who sent me, what shall I tell them? I am that I am has sent you. It's the God of Israel. Who's the I am? Jesus pushed into a corner in the temple by the, by the prelates, by the Pharisees, by the religious hierarchy. They think they have the young Nazareth teacher cornered. He's pushed into the temple. Jesus is standing his ground. He says, I want to tell you something. He said, what do you know about Abraham? Let me tell you something, John 8.58. John 8, Before Abraham was, I am. Same voice. Now we know that that fourth angel is Jesus himself. Michael. The archangel is Jesus himself. Michael is the pre-incarnate Christ. By the way, Philip Melanchthon, the mind behind the, Re- the Reformation. Martin Luther was the voice and the mind, but Melanchthon was even sharper. And Luther leaned heavily on Melanchthon. Melanchthon taught Michael was Christ himself. We agree with Melanchthon. That Jesus has always been... the. the, the Christ has always been the intermediary between the throne of the universe and creation. So that when he's dealing with the angels, he suddenly looks like an angel. And by the way, that's why Lucifer had such a hard time with him. Why does that angel get to go in the throne room and I'm kept out, says, do not enter? (laughs) Some little powwow, apparently. What's the matter for me? I am an angel, the highest angel. Michael's just another angel. I should be in there with him. Now, he's been told who Michael is. But the, but the fact that Michael appears like Lucifer leads Lucifer to say, I could be him. See? So Michael has always been God with us. Michael means who's like God. That's either a statement, who's like God, or it's a question, who is like God? I am. Either way, he's Emmanuel, God with us. Same one. When he comes, he takes on our form. And by the way, Steps to Christ tells us, he will bear our form forever and ever. Amen. Five fingers on each hand. Two eyes. Two nostrils. One nose. Scarred. Forever. Only evidence of sin that will exist forever and ever. He won't become Michael. He's Emmanuel now. Forever. I tell you what, if, you, if that doesn't give you an exalted, if that doesn't portray to you the exalted status of the human race, nothing will. The human race has been elevated to the throne of the eternal God. The human race of sinners. We are all sinners, and we have been elevated to the throne of Almighty God Himself. A human being sits on the throne today. A human being, not an angel, a human being sits on the throne. He's fully man and fully God. Boy, I want to get to know this, Michael.
turn human. So, so the earth, that, so the so the glory that illumines the earth, Ezekiel forty three is very clear. It's the glory of the God of Israel. It's the glory of Christ. The revival, the second coming of the Holy Spirit, will be the, the the glory of Christ exploding across this earth. Okay, so you knew all that. Now let's talk about the sunrise. Who is this sun coming up? Malachi 4.2 But to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. I love that. The sun is... The sun of God is the sun of righteousness. Sun of righteousness. This glory... Hey, Ezekiel, what do you see? Oh, I see the sun coming up. I see the sun coming up from the east. Whoa, whoa. Is it very bright, Ezekiel? Oh, it's, the whole earth is set ablaze with this rising sun. Who do you suppose that is, Ezekiel? That's the God of Israel. Malachi 4.2 says, you got that right. He is the S-U-N of righteousness. He is the Son. Ah! Where are you going with this? I'll keep going. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. I'm just giving you a string of verses to the intensely practical moment. String of verses. 2 Corinthians 4.6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where does God's glory shine the brightest? What does it say there? In the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? The face, my glory, shines in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is the quintessential passion of the New Testament. He is. He is the glory. And Paul says, you want to to see the glory of the God who said, let there be light? And had that light shine out of darkness? He said, you just look into Jesus' face. If you look into Jesus' face, you will see His glory. Now watch this, guys. Keep on going. So what do we have? We have Revelation 18.1. Then we have Ezekiel 43.2. Now we have 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Let me put one more verse up. But before putting the verse up, I've got to make this point. God's glory shines best and brightest in the face of Jesus, which I've already made. So let's go on. Ooh, and I want to show this. Before I get to that text... Ellen White wrote these words. Listen to this. Isn't this something? The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are open to all people. And word. Now look, if it were possible for thousands of the most gifted men and women to devote their whole time, that would be 24-7, to setting forth Jesus always before us so they take the most gifted people on this planet, men and women, and say, spend your time 24-7 telling us about Jesus. Even if you could... Studying how they might portray his matchless charms, they would never exhaust the subject. The brightest minds on this planet, with multiple PhDs, could not exhaust this subject. It is an exhaustless subject. The glory, the glory of the God of Israel, the glory of this one who is Emmanuel, God with us. They never exhaust the subject. And that's why you have Acts 4.13. Isn't it great? I mean, this is Peter. Bumbling, fumbling Peter. And John. Son of thunder. Son of thunder. You got the two fishermen. By the way, Peter and John are buddies. Everywhere they show up, they show up together. You'll find Peter and John showing up all through John's gospel. Luke has them showing up together. They obviously, John is young, Peter's a seasoned fisherman, but the two of them somehow clicked. They just hung together. And sure enough, in the story in Acts 4, where they're arrested for having healed them. Remember the, uh, going through the gate, beautiful? Remember the blind man, I'm sort of poor, I'm sort of poor. Peter comes walking by. They just are two little peasants, that's all they look like. 
And Peter's walking by, but they both stop. And by the way, do you know where Peter and John were going? Do you know where Peter and John were going in Acts 3? They're going to prayer meeting. They're going to prayer meeting. It's afternoon prayers. It's evening prayers. Three o'clock in the afternoon. Evening prayers. And the two guys, somewhere in the city, say, hey, you want to go pray together? Hey, let's go. Come on, let's go. Two of us. Just the two of us. So they're going to prayer meeting. Stuff happens when you go to prayer meeting. Power is unleashed when you're headed in the right direction. They're going to prayer meeting, guys. And they're going up these stairs. And by the way, gate beautiful. Oh, that is a, that is a huge understatement. Because this gate, carved into ivory, was a trellis of a vine. Inlaid with gold. So that the afternoon sun, shining on gate beautiful, 70 feet tall. Afternoon sun, shining on gate beautiful. And I may not be right about the 70 feet, but don't worry about that. Afternoon sun, shining on gate beautiful. It just set it ablaze. It just went like it was on fire. So here's this guy. Smart guy, by the way. He's He's been lame since birth. He has to make a living. So they drag him. Every day, somebody who loves him drags him to that little corner, puts him down on these vegetable legs. He squats on those legs. He puts his palm out. And if you travel in the East, you see it all the time. Puts the palm out. Bashish. Alms for the poor. And so he's, he's running through his little chant. Pity from your heart. Penny from your pocket. Alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. And Peter and John are just going up. It's just in deep conversation. Now we're going to go have some time to pray. And they, they both stop. They're halfway up the stairs. They stop. And they see that man. That vegetable specimen of a, hum, of a human being. Shriveled up at the top of the stairs. Peter looks at John. John looks at him. Peter goes like this. John, probably John would not have been the one to take the initiative. Because John never says a word. Peter goes. So they go walking up the stairs. And he's looking at him. And the man sees him coming. Now they look like two peasants. I mean, we're talking dirt poor. But the man's heart leaps when Peter gets right up there. So he's looking at the man. He's right up there, the man on that top stair. And he says, silver and gold. And the man says, yeah, they got it. They got it. You couldn't tell by looking at him. But he's got it. He's talking about silver and gold. He says, silver and gold. Have we none? Ah. The guy drops his head. I can't believe it. Two country bumpkins wasting my time. Yo, Peter says, silver and gold have I none. Look at me. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And that, that shriveled specimen of humanity looks into the face of the big fisherman and there is just enough flicker of faith in that heart. And somewhere, and, and, and Acts 3 says, Peter reaches down, grabs that bony wrist. Somewhere between down and up, electricity shoots through those lifeless, shriveled up limbs. And before he gets up in the pull, shoot! Two strong legs. And the place goes bananas. Because everybody's seen this guy. Everybody in the beautiful gate knows this is the layman. And you know what happens. 
The crowd comes racing, and Peter says, this is preaching time. And he says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You think, you think the two little fishermen from Galilee could do this? Who do you know in whose name this man was healed? Jesus of Nazareth. You crucified him. He rose, and this is proof he's alive. And oh my, we got an altar call going on. We got the authorities coming in, and there is one big mess. And so Peter and John, hey, boys, follow me. They're arrested. Those two bumbling fishermen. And remember, this is the guy. Hey, hey, wait. Isn't that the guy? Isn't that the guy that was outside a Caiaphas palace? Was cursing the name of this Jesus. That's the same God. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they're country bumpkins, never been to school. What that means is they haven't been to rabbinical school. They haven't been to seminary. That's what it means. And perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized. I like the NIV, it says, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note. They said, ah, these boys have been hanging around Jesus. That's the whole point, guys. That's the whole point. You know when you go downstairs to, to have your devotions? And like the little girl said, when you come up, bring some up for us. That's what you're going down to do. You're going down to be alone with Jesus. You'll be with the third person of the guided. He will bring the very, the very sense of the presence of Christ to you. And you will, you, will, you will believe that you are in His presence. Unbelievable. So that's what's happening here. They've been with Jesus. Now there's a little law that's going to be operative here. And then the intensely practical and we, we're gone. I want you to get this text down. This is 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Jot it down. So what are the texts so far? Dwight, let's see if you can remember them. Okay, Revelation 18.1, earth explodes. Revelation, I mean, Ezekiel 43.2, we know that the earth explodes with the glory of Christ because it's the sunrise. And the sun of righteousness, Malachi 4.2, is none other than Jesus himself. We then went to, what was the next text we went to? 2 Corinthians 4.6, you see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus. Yes! Always that glory in the face of Jesus. Sure enough. Was the next text we did a we did a Ellen White quote and then this next text of Acts four thirteen. Now, watch this, guys. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a what? We all and I have this from the New Living because it's a little easier flow here. We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we're looking in a mirror. Now there is something amazing about mirrors. Mirrors will reflect what is pointed at them. Isn't that right? Mirrors will reflect what they are pointed at. That's an even better way to put it. Isn't that true? No, this is, I'm, telling you, I'm going to tell you a true story here. Up in Holland, Michigan, I have a friend named Bob Slickers. And... Uh, He's a member of the Holland, Michigan, Seventh-day Adventist Church. They just built the church a few years ago. We went up, uh, spent one weekend with Bob and Barbara. And he said, do I come and see the new church? I, I love looking at new churches. I love looking at old churches, by the way. I just love going into a church. And so he's showing us this new church. And he said, right, I need to show you one thing about the, uh, the restrooms. Well, you know, I'm not a real connoisseur of restrooms. I mean, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. But he says, do I want you to see this one? So he says, stand right here in the narthex. That would be what you call the foyer, all right? 
So stand right here. So there's a men's room there and there's a woman's room there. And you know how they have the doors and all. He said, I want you to watch the men's room. Look, look at this. So when you open the door to the men's room, there's a vanity wall. Right? So that you can't see in. Right? There's a wall. You've got to go around the wall. Right? That's just the way they make them. But the architect forgot a little calculation. And when he put the mirror above the sinks on the side, you could stand here in the narthex, see the mirror, and see what's behind the wall. <laughs> Which is not good news. So I don't know what they ended up having to do to, to, to rectify that. But it's not the mirror's fault. Because a mirror, whatever a mirror is pointed at, it will reflect. Whatever it's pointed at, you put it here, it will reflect that. It's the law of the mirrors. And that's what Paul is saying here. We all, as, as, as in mirrors, with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed. We're looking into this mirror. Wonder whose face is in the mirror. Ah, write it down. It's the law of mirrors. They never reflect themselves. They reflect the one they're pointed at. When you say, hey, mirror, what are you looking at? The mirror isn't looking at itself. If it were, it'd go, brrr, you know, you get those, you've done that with a thing, and the mirror is a thousand mirrors. You can't do it. Mirror says, I'm, I'm pointed at you. So that's what I'm reflecting. That's why you look in a mirror. Because it's pointed at you. And you see you. The question is, when Jesus comes to us, where are our mirrors pointed? Where are our mirrors pointed? If they're pointed at Him. When others walk into the room, what do they see? They see Him. But if the mirror is pointed at me, if the mirror of my life is pointed at me, what do other people see when I walk into the room? Me. The whole object of morning worship now, the whole object of morning worship is to recalibrate the mirror of your life so that it's pointed straight at the Son of Righteousness. I mean, you used to do that as a kid, didn't you? Come on, you did. When you finally figured out how a mirror works, you you could do this in the house. The sunlight would be coming in. Your sister's sitting across the room. And the sunlight is coming through. You remember that? Your sister's sitting across the room. You sit, and the sunlight's coming. And you have this little mirror. She doesn't know you have a mirror. And you get the mirror. And you can see right above her head. You've got this little thing bouncing. You say, oh, this is going to be perfect. And while your mother's reading worship, because this is where it happened to me. Your mother's reading worship. She's reading the devotional book. And uh, so you've got this thing. And you can see where that little, oh, look at that, look at that. So you move it across the room. There's your little sister right there. And you've got it just right, and you just bring it down. Now it's on her forehead. She doesn't even know it's there. And you're just getting such a laugh out of that. She has no idea. She's got this thing on her head. Oh, doesn't she look funny? And then you just drop it one more millimeter, and what do you, what do, you do? Blinder, because there's this, just this flash of glory. Why was there that flash of glory? Because you had the mirror adjusted so it was facing the, the sun and in just the right angle, that sun was shining right into her eye. That's the law of the mirrors. They will reflect what they're pointed at. So guys, we can talk about the second coming of the Holy Spirit till we're blue in the face. Well, let's just be praying for outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let's be praying. Of course let's be praying. That's why we're here this weekend. But there has to be something that we can take home with us. And here is the take home part now. I want you to set up a time seven days a week for the rest of your life where the mirror is recalibrated every morning to be pointed straight at the face of Jesus. Because you know when you go through the day, you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're driving through your little town or your big city and the guy in front of you cuts you off or doesn't move and everybody's going by you and you're stuck and you had those 
less than charitable thoughts toward the individual. That mirror that was pointing at Jesus for a few moments ago, a few moments ago, now it's like a... And then your family, your roommate. How many times have I told him? By the end of the day, guys, our mirrors are pointing anywhere but up, aren't they? Why? Because I've been through a series of events where I've behaved very unseemly. And every time I... <laughs> at the end of the day, this thing is pointing straight at me. This is terrible. This is not, this is not good. So when I get up in the morning, the whole point of, of, of having this time, this mirror time alone with Jesus, is so the Holy Spirit can go... <laughs> and then He calibrates it so that it's right. It's, it's pointed straight at the Son of Righteousness so that when I walk out of there, they take note that I've been in the Son. It's reflected. It's the law of the mirrors. It's exactly what Paul just told us. I didn't make that up. He says, we look in a mirror, we behold the glory of God. And by the way, let's go back to that because notice who, let's go back, notice who brings the glory of God to us. What's the last line? That's the Spirit of the Lord who's bringing that glory to us. The Holy Spirit says, I'll recalibrate that, Dwight. I'll turn your mirror. I'll turn your eyes. Hey, sing that with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That little chorus we learned as kids is is singing the truth about the mirrors. Turn your eyes. Turn your mirror on Jesus. And the things of earth, what happens to them? They're no longer in the mirror. Why? Because I got it pointed at Jesus. Glory, Son of Righteousness, Second Coming of the Holy Spirit, Latter Rain. It's all about being alone with Jesus seven days a week. Now, here it goes. Promise you this. Uh, first, I want to show you William Miller. This is the, uh, our, our great spiritual forefather. William Miller wrote these words when he discovered Jesus. I was constrained to admit that the Scriptures must be a revelation from God. They became my delight. What became his delight? Holy Scripture. You're going to find Holy Scripture when you're looking for Jesus. A whole new paradigm shift. You're going to find Jesus every page you turn. When you now say, I'm not trying to find an argument to prove the state of the dead, so I'm going to keep reading until I come across a good text. No. You don't go to the Scriptures in worship time for that. You go to the Scriptures so that you might turn your eyes upon Jesus. Now, if you want to do it in Genesis, be my guest. I'm going to suggest to you, if you you have not had a strong prayer life on a daily basis, seven days a week, that you not go to Genesis. I'm going to suggest to you that you go to four books that are high concentrate mega doses of Jesus. And what would those four books be? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's what I'm going to suggest. I got college kids coming to my my, uh, office there. Pastor, I'm just burned out. Here at Andrews University, man, I've been trying so caught up in this academic game and I, ah, I'm shot. You know what I'll do for that college student? I'll say, hey, shh, ten minutes for you. 
Ten minutes a day. I, I need you to promise me. Ten, don't make a promise to me, but I need you to commit to ten minutes a day. Ten minutes a day. Just you and Jesus alone. And then what I'm about to share with you, I put them on. Ten minutes a day. Look at You're here at GYC. You've given up part of Christmas break to be here. You're highly motivated. You know that. You're a highly motivated crowd this weekend. It's not ten minutes for you. Thirty minutes for you. I tell my preachers at the seminary, minimum one hour for you. Minimum one hour for you. Everybody else, whatever. Thirty minutes. Highly motivated. Listen, I'm going to put this as low as I can because I don't want you saying, oh man, I'm not going to do that. There's no way I can come up with that kind of time. Rubbish. You can come up with that kind of time. But I don't want to startle you. I don't want to put too much on you so that you won't even start it. So for you, 30 minutes. 30 minutes will be gone just like that. What I'm about to show you, it'll be gone just like that. So don't worry about the time flying. It's not a problem with time. By the way, as somebody once said about prayer, when it comes to prayer, it's not mind over matter. It's mind over mattress. (laughs) You just got to get out of the bed. Just get out of the bed. Everybody has the same amount of time every day, 24 hours. Nobody gets more. Nobody gets less. We all have the same. So you have to make a determination. All right. But here's William Miller. I was constrained to admit that the Scriptures must be a revelation from God. They became my delight. And in Jesus, I found a friend. The Savior became to me the chiefest among 10,000. And the Scriptures, which before were dark and contradictory, now became the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. Guys, I'm telling you, the Scripture will come alive to you. You're not going to be doing this, oh, man, got to go down. I promise the new year, 2012, I'm going to do this. Even if it kills me. There may be some of that sometimes. You know, I love to have breakfast. I eat breakfast. And I have a very standard breakfast. My wife homemade granola, a sliced banana on top of it, uh, some silk milk on top of it, two pieces of toast with peanut butter and raspberry jam. My life is utterly predictable. (laughs) If I get that, I'm into a good day. So that's my breakfast all the time. Okay, so it's a great breakfast. There are some days, however, when I got an emergency. Get out of the house now. Somebody's in crisis. Fly. I may, I may just grab a bowl of Wheaties. The problem with the Wheaties is it, it has a one-second shelf life in the bowl when there's milk in it. And then it's all downhill after that first second. You know, so I get this, oh, the soggy bowl. It's just soggy. This is awful. There will be days like that when you have worship where it's just soggy, one-second shelf life stuff. But when I get a bowl like that, do I then fall on the ground, pound my little fist into the rug and say, God, I'm never eating breakfast again. I'm a failure at breakfasts. I'm never eating breakfast again. You kidding? Tomorrow I'm going to make sure I get a good one. That's the way it is in your devotional life. You're going to have some days where there's just, well, there's nothing to write home about today. You're not supposed to be writing home about it anyway. But you'll have some days like that. Don't, don't fall apart. I've been married to the most wonderful girl in the world for 37 years. 
Eat your heart out, guys, because I got her. So Karen and I have been married. went to uh, SMC, Southern Matrimonial College, and fell in love there, and we've been married ever since. All right? Look, I'll just tell you. I mean, anybody who's been married can tell you this. It's just not a honeymoon 24-7 for the rest of your life. There are some days when it doesn't feel like a honeymoon. If you're not married yet, don't let that discourage you. <laughs> because when you're not married, every day is not like a honeymoon. So, is that, yeah. so the point is, guys, there's some days when you feel very much in love and in married. And then some days when you say, hey, what's up with this? Do I, quit, do I quit being married then? The problem with American marriages is a lot of people do. Well, I'm out of here. That's, that shelf life wasn't more than uh, three years. And No, you don't, you don't quit. You've made a commitment to each other. Relationships are deep. They're not based on romance. Romance has got the fire going. But now the fire is hot because of a relational passion and commitment to each other. And you know, hell or high water, it doesn't matter. We're together. There's some days with Jesus, it's the same way. There's some days when you're just not going to feel like a whole lot of anything going between me and Jesus. Don't feel bad. There's some days He spends with you where He feels the same way. (laughs) How did I get into this relationship? (laughs) I hope this changes. No, He still loves you. That's the great thing about Jesus is He just keeps loving you no matter what. But you and I don't keep loving Him. We're very temperamental. Things are going good. I love you, Jesus. Things aren't going good. I'm not so sure about you now, Jesus. Until we grow. Until we get to Job's place. We get to the status of Job where you've walked with God so long that even though He kills you, though He slays me, I will still trust Him. I mean, that's where you've really started arriving. It takes a long time to get there. Don't feel bad. Young adult, you've got a long way to go. But the joy of it is you're young and you don't know that you have a long way to go. And you have all that energy, all that vision and passion. That's why God just loves young adults. And Sabbath morning, before I get into my teaching, I just was thinking about this earlier this morning. I want to share with you why I believe you are strategic. You were, you were prophetically predicted. God predicted that you would come at this time. You watch. So God has made a commitment to you and you've made a commitment to Him. So you go down. You don't worry about it. You just go down. Some breakfasts are worth, worth uh, omelets and others are Wheaties. All who found peace in Christ longed to see... Oh, by the way, this is the revival that William Miller was, inst- was the instigator of. Talking about revivals. Watch, notice this description of the revival. Here we are praying for revival in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. My friend, Ted Wilson, great leader, calling the church, revival and reformation. Come on, guys, let's go, let's go. You want to see a revival? The one that began this movement is a template worth considering. All who found peace in Christ longed to see others share the blessing. This is back in the Millerite Revival. The hearts of parents were turned to their children. The hearts of children to their parents, Malachi 4. The barriers of pride and reserve were swept away. Heartfelt confessions were made. And members of the household labored for the salvation of those who were nearest and dearest to them. It just had this passion. I've got to find the lost. We've got to save our lost children. We've got to save our lost parents. We've got to save our lost siblings. God, there's there's this passion that people were feeling. That's it, the Millerite Revival. Now watch this one more line. Of all the great religious movements since the days of the apostles, we're talking about since Pentecost, of all the religious movements since the days of the apostles, none, 
been more free from human imperfection and the wiles of Satan than was that of the autumn of 1844. Wow! That was real, genuine, Christ-saturated revival. There's been no revival since the, since the apostolic revival of Pentecost that has been as great. Isn't that amazing? Whoa! That's Great Controversy, page 401. Jot that down. You check it out for yourself. Maybe I misquoted it. Check it out. Great Controversy 401. So this passion that William Miller had for Jesus, that's the heart of it. So here's the prayer that you pray, and then I'll share with you now how to do it. This is a great prayer, by the way. Exodus 33:18. This is Moses speaking to God. He says, please, O God, show me your glory. That's in the New King James. I have it in the King James. My little girl, when she was still at home, she was great on the computer. I said, Chrissy, just type up this text for me. Put it in a nice Gothic. Put a nice border around it. And so she did. And one copy in my prayer journal and the other on the wall where I, where I go. I have a prayer corner. It's a closet for me. It's not really a closet, but it's where I go for my prayer time every day. So I have that on the wall. I beseech thee, O God. That's how the King James puts it. I beseech thee, O God, show me thy glory. I kind of like that old language. can't understand the King James a lot of the time. That's why I use newer translations. But I like that old language there. I beseech thee, O God, show me thy glory. Show it to me. Please. New King James. Please, show me your glory. If every day you go into your prayer closet with that prayer, Exodus thirty-three eighteen, I believe God will honor that prayer. I believe He will show you His glory. Not in some sort of goosebump, handwriting on the wall sort of way. No, just the quiet assurance that God and you have been talking to each other. I beseech thee, O God, show me thy glory. Okay, here we go. So there's your prayer. I love that Nathan Green artwork, by the way. Nathan Green is a great artist. He's in our community. I have his picture of Christ called the intercessor and it's Jesus over the curvature of the earth and I should have flipped it up for you my guys in my preaching class I'll put that up at the beginning of every class just a reminder Jesus the prayer prayer the intercessor this is the same Jesus please oh God show me your glory in the face of Jesus you pray that prayer every morning as you go into your, into your uh, prayer closet time guys I am not worried for you, not one moment. Okay, so Dwight, what do I do? Come on, give me something I can take home. Something I can start January 1 and I can continue no matter how I'm feeling. Just this commitment. 30 minutes. And by the way, before I put it up, it needs to be the same place. It needs to be the same place. Okay? Where you have your prayer every day needs to be in the same place. Don't keep changing the place. Because we are very curious as, as uh, we're curious creatures as human beings and the moment you sit down in a new place you're analyzing everything around you and if you have a proclivity as many of you do to keeping your room clean or the house clean you're looking around oh where did those cobwebs come from i can't believe it you're immediately distracted you may have cobwebs in the place where you go every day, but you've, you've forgotten to see them. I mean, you just, it becomes so familiar to you. You're no longer concentrating on the print in the curtain or the pattern in the rug. You just, you're not. Go back to the same place. So if you're sharing an apartment with somebody or a dormitory room, have a place where you're away from your roommate. You can't do it in the traffic. You can't do it in the traffic. It's just, it's, it's, it's unprivate. 
You need some place. Is it 12 o'clock? Are we supposed to stop? Yo, okay. Well, just remember, go to the same place. Okay, here we go, guys. Here we go. We go, and then we'll get there. It's 15 minutes. We can get to the place in 15 minutes. One gospel story every morning. So here's the deal. 30 minutes, and you've not been doing this on a a seven-day-a-week basis, then I'm going to give you an assignment. One gospel story a day. Not three stories a day, not three chapters a day, just one story that's three verses, eight verses long. It's a little paragraph in the gospel. All you want is one story. You say, do I don't want to read two? No, because when you read two, you're confused. What is the word from God for me in this, in this passage? One story, guys. One teaching, one miracle, one parable, one incident, one story. You say, Dwight, I've already read Peter walking on the water. Good. Read it again. Every time you go back to a story, the Holy Spirit will match that story to where you are at this moment. It is supernaturally divine, but it will happen to you. You will hear stuff out of stories you never heard before, and you've read them a thousand times. Don't skip a story because you know it. Do it sequentially. Then you'll know that you're not picking your message for the day, that the Spirit is picking the message for you. Much better to do it that way. One story from the gospel every morning. Reread to relive. Look, at 30 minutes, you'll be done. One story is going to take you like uh, 25 seconds, maybe 40 seconds to read. Huh. No, reread to relive. So, you want to, you want to be there. You want to watch Jesus. The whole point is turn your eyes upon Jesus. Remember, we just saying that. We turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look at Jesus. If you want to... Let the scene, you know, you want to see it, you want to smell it, you want to taste it, you want to feel it. That's fine. You need to be there with Jesus. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Desire of Ages, page 83, by the way, which says we ought to take a thoughtful hour every day. Desire of Ages says we ought to let our imagination grasp each scene from the life of Jesus. So, I'm getting Illinois for that. Let our imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing scenes. All right? Let your imagination grasp each scene. That means let your imagination see it, smell it, touch it, feel it. Watch Jesus. Never, you're, you're never the hero. Watch Jesus. All right, guys, and you're asking yourself this question. What does this tell me? What does, does this story, I've read it now four, five times through, what does this story tell me about Jesus? And I promise you that something will come out of your, come, come gurgling out of your very soul where there will be an impression. Take the impression. I'm not saying you're getting direct messages from God, but you're getting direct impressions from the Holy Spirit. Take the impression. He's saying, hey, did you ever notice about that, uh, that, uh, that Peter story? He's so gung-ho to jump out of the boat. You ever realize, Dwight, you're the same way? Always ready to jump out of the boat. Try something new. You can't make it three paces, but like Peter, you're down on your face. Why don't you learn Peter's lesson? You need to keep your eyes on Jesus. You get so excited. Whatever it is, I don't know what it will be that he'll speak to you, but he'll say something to you. What does this story tell me about my Savior Jesus? Now, guys, here's the last one. This is the last one. Here's where it's different than anything you've done. I want you to write an email to Jesus. Take your laptop, take your iPhone, take your iPad. I don't care what you use. Write an email to Jesus. I don't have his address, but you write the email anyway. Put that email into a, little, into a little folder on your laptop. Just put a little folder on your iPad. little folder. What's happening? When you write, you suddenly are engaging your mind, not just, not just meditating. You're now writing. Dear Jesus, I didn't realize how much like Mary I really am. Ah. I want to do something big for you. I hurry into the room. All the eyes are on me. I go weak. I start sobbing. What a fool I make of myself. And yet I hear you say to Mary, 
What this woman has done will be told for the rest of human history, wherever the gospel is told. Jesus, what I do for you, please honor it. You know, if you're the timid type and that Mary story speaks to you, that's what it will say. You just write, a, write an email. Write an email. If you just think all that, if you kneel down, you're, you're sound asleep, number one. You kneel down early in the morning, you're gone. This will keep your mind focused on that one story. And then you write an email. It's the writing that people respond to. I get letters from, emails from people all over the world. Hey, I've been doing this now for months. It's, 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 it's revolutionized my prayer life. I promise you, it will change your prayer life. You will never be the same again because something will be happening in that engagement of writing. Come on, you young adults. Everything you do is with a thumb. You can do Jesus with a thumb, can't you? Yes, you can. So guys, that's it. By the way, I have a kneel-down prayer after that. You have a kneel-down prayer because you're in the presence of Almighty God Himself. Go to your face. Pray for the people that you have. I keep a daily prayer list. I have a longer prayer list, but I have a daily prayer list. That daily prayer list is my emergency room prayer request for Jesus. Salvation, healing, whatever. That's the time you lift those up. I'm telling you, 30 minutes, God was gone long ago. So guys, the Lord Jesus has called you for such a time as this. Be bold for Him. Go for broke for Him. And when you come out of that little prayer closet, let the world where you live in take note that you too have been with Jesus. The mirror is focused on Jesus. Sing it one more time with me. Turn your eyes upon This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.